0: Please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. As you turn there, again, uh, happy Mother's Day to all the women in our church. And uh, so grateful to God for each of the, the women and the, the different ways in which God has gifted you, and you're using those gifts in the lives of others. We know this can be a, a hard day for many because of the various circumstances that many of the women in our church face. and I just want to, to know, praying for you this morning, it's a hard, uh, many hard ministries are represented in this room, a lot of sleepless nights and early mornings and, and just difficult, difficult situations, but, uh, you know, today is the day where all of it is made worthwhile as you get a bar of chocolate. That's uh no, it's, but it is a thank you. It is a thank you and, and just very grateful for for what God is doing in each of your lives and we're, uh, as you know, just kind of a little bit of an update. We're continuing the exciting work of replanting the church in uh, Rome, Chillicothe, and we've approved a budget. We've installed Jordan Embry last week as a pastor elder here at Bethany Community Church, and he's going to be helping lead that work and oversee it. He's assembled a kind of a core. Right now, he's assembled a, a subset of our of our elders, and he and Wayne Lehman and Ben Davidson and Neil Gerber are kind of working together to kind of be a kind of a first team as he established as a core team of those who are going to be going and, and being a part of that work. Uh, he showed me a list of people that he's talking to right now. There are about 15 to 20 families who have expressed interest in being a part of that, plus the, the families who are already over there. So that's a great uh, core team, and I think that's going to be an, a fantastic core group. I looked at those names, and thought, boy, that's... Can I go too? I mean, what's the, it's gonna be a really sweet fellowship there. And, you know, those, uh, some of those that are part of that group that he's talking to may ultimately decide not to go. Many of them will decide to go. There may be some people who haven't talked to Jordan yet that are planning on going and just haven't let him know that yet. If, if that's you and you haven't talked to, to Jordan yet and, and you want to be a part of that group, uh, this would be a good time to do that. You can talk to him or any of the other men, Wayne, Ben, or Neil. You can email Jordan at Jordan at BethanyCommunityChurch dot org, or just talk to any of those guys on on a Sunday morning or anytime you, you see them. Uh, they're going to be planning several meetings and events in the coming weeks and months, and so if you want to be a part of those, uh, reach out to them and, and let them know that. All the church, uh, and oh, by the way, by talking to them, that doesn't that is not signing a contract saying you have to to go and be a part of it. But it is just kind of a good way for you to begin to go and, and hear some of the things that they're they're doing there. And all the church, whether you're going or staying, you need to be excited about this phase of our church's life. We're going to have a Sunday school class in the month of June where we talk about church planting and help each of us see how we can be involved in that ministry. So be sure to be a part of that in, in June as well. We're in 1 Samuel, and for those of you who are new to our church or visiting this morning, what we're doing during this year is going through First and Second Samuel, and so we're having to kind of sometimes go rather quickly. We're trying to do an overview of, of these books, and we're in kind of First Samuel 18, 19, and 20 this morning. We're going to read a little bit from chapter 20. At the end of our time last week, uh, David had just defeated the giant Goliath. And in chapters 18 and 19, Saul is going to repre- recognize that David represents a threat to him. And so Saul is going to make David his enemy in chapters 18 and 19. But in chapter 20, Jonathan, Saul's son, is going to respond to David in a much different way. He begins that actually in chapter 18, at the beginning of chapter 18. But it continues in chapter 20. We see that unlike his father, who makes David his enemy, uh, Jonathan makes David his friend, and in verses, uh, we're going to read together verses 12 through 17 of chapter 20 together, and so if you would stand with me as we read these verses, if you're able, and we'll see what Jonathan says to David describing their friendship. Verse 12, "'And Jonathan said to David, "'The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, be witness.'" When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, That I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. You may be seated. Father, please encourage us and strengthen us according to Your Word this morning. We come to Your Word recognizing that it is here that we find the the words of life. Where else could we turn but Your Word this morning to know Your will and Your purpose for us? Please through the work of Your Spirit, help us to understand these truths, help us to to believe these truths, help us to live out these truths, And, and Father, in whatever Whatever circumstances are going on in our lives, we we pray that during this time you would still our hearts and allow us to to receive your good, kind truths to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Hopefully, I'm not offensively overgeneralizing here, uh, but in my anecdotal experience, it seems that women more often than men understand what... What true friendship should look like. In other words, usually or often I find that women have a good sense of what a true biblical friendship should look like in terms of the time commitment that's required for a biblical friendship, in terms of the sacrifice, in terms of the communication that needs to take place to have a healthy friendship. Now, on the downside, what I also have anecdotally found to be true is that women are often more discouraged in friendships. They have such a high bar for what a friendship should look at, like they often look around, and maybe even this happens on Mother's Day, as, as women sometimes look around at relationships between mothers and daughters and see that lack in their own life and say, boy, this is what a friendship should be, and this is what I'm experiencing, and there can be some discouragement in that. Now, on, on the other side of the coin, uh, oftentimes I find that men have a very… they're very content with their lack of friends or lack of biblical friendships. And you ask a a man sometimes, hey, do you have any friends? Yes, I do. And you ask me, hey, Daniel, are you friends with so-and-so? And And I say, yes, I am. When's the last time you guys talked? I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, It's been a while, but love that guy. Uh, We have a very low bar in terms of what biblical friendships look like and require but the reality is God has designed us for friendships, both with Him and with one another, deep, real friendships. When Christ came, when Jesus Christ came, part of His mission was to reconcile us with God, and not, not by standing aloof from us, but by becoming our friends, by being drawn to us in friendship even as we were sinners. What does Matthew say? Matthew says in 11:19 that He's called a friend, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We have a hard time understanding what friendship with Christ looks like, and we therefore also have a hard time understanding what our friendships should look like with other believers. And So what I want to do this morning is look at this kind of central idea. Christian friendship flows from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and is built upon a shared commitment to his lordship. A Christian friendship is going to flow from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're going to be, be friends with, with the Lord himself, and then as we understand that relationship, from that relationship with God flows our, our love for others, and our friendships with others are going to be built upon a, a shared commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. As we look at that, we're going to see Jonathan and David, as we look at their relationship, their friendship, Contrasted with Saul making David the anointed one his enemy, we're going to, to talk about some theological foundations of our friendships with Christ and others. And I think we have these chapters eighteen through twenty in 1 Samuel because they're to, that are designed to to contrast these two responses to the Lord's anointed. Saul recognizes that David is a, a threat to his dynasty, and so he makes David his enemy. Saul, same, sorry, Jonathan doesn't care. Uh, ultimately his desire is for God to be exalted, and so he makes the anointed one, David, his friend. He embraces him even though it means the loss of his own kingdom. Christian friendship flows from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is built upon a shared commitment to his lordship, and we're going to first of all then talk about how Saul becomes David's enemy. Let's look at this. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19. We're going to touch on some things here. We're not going to spend as much time in these chapters. Uh, We're going to come back to some of these themes in a few weeks as we look at Saul pursuing David. But turn to chapter 18, if you're not already there, and let's kind of walk through what happens here in these chapters. Uh, Samuel In 1 Samuel, we, we read in 17 that David has defeated the giant Goliath. He's talked to Saul, and then it tells us that in verses 1 through 5, that David and Jonathan become instant friends. But that's not true of Saul. You come into chapter 18, verses 6 through 16, and you you see that it doesn't take Saul very long to recognize that David represents a threat to him. They come back from this campaign against the Philistines and they arrive at home and the women of Israel are, are singing these songs and, and, and Saul is walking with, with, uh, with David, he's with that group and he hears the, the song being sung. Now, Saul, what he had thought originally is that this guy David is going to be a use to him. He's going to be able to, to, to use David to defeat enemies, and David's going to bring him glory. As you look at 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 52, it talks about how Saul, whenever he would see a, a good warrior, a valiant person, he would grab that guy and bring him into his army. Why? Because the more, the more great guys that Saul had in his army, the, the better Saul looked. And so here's David and Saul recognizes that David's going to be a, another guy that can bring him glory, and so let's, let's bring him on. Now, as he is arriving with David, he hears this song sung. And at first, maybe he doesn't hear all the lyrics that they're, they're saying. Uh, the first line sounds pretty good when he understands what they're singing. It says, "'Saul has slain his thousands.'" Saul is a great conqueror, and Saul hears that song being sung, he thought, well, this is a top ten hit. I love this song, right? And, And then he hears the next line, and David, his ten thousands. And Saul recognizes that there is a problem. His world comes crashing down very quickly. He recognizes that he and David cannot coexist with one another. They cannot both receive glory. One is going to be glorified, and the other is going to be glorified more. Saul recognizes that David is not going to be someone that brings him glory, but detracts from his glory. And Saul views David with suspicion, the text tells us. And ultimately, Saul decides he must be Eliminated. You look at verses 10 and, and following, it talks about how the, the next day there's this harmful spirit. We saw this when we were looking at, at David earlier, whenever David was brought to help calm Saul down as he would play the lyre for him. And uh, the, the harmful spirit comes, and, and, and twice it tells us that Saul tries to, to throw his spear at David and, and pin him against the wall. And you think to yourself, okay, once that happened, why does David stick around? Right, I mean, imagine this happened in your workplace, Uh, your employer tries to kill you, and at at the least you'd set up a a meeting with HR or something, right, and say, hey, you know, uh, I've got this problem, what's your problem? Well, my direct supervisor keeps trying to uh, impale me with a spear, okay, thanks for letting me know, We'll, we'll research this. There'd be something that you would do, right? Now, now, perhaps, first of all, you're dealing with the king here, so it's a little bit differently. But, al- but also, this is perhaps, David thinks, well, this is the harmful spirit. This is just the harmful spirit acting out, and so maybe he gives Saul less culpability here. But it's not just the evil spirit, is it? It says, verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. And so what Saul does in chapters 18 and 19 is he tries to find other ways to get rid of David. He makes him a commander and sends him out to fight the Philistines, hoping that the Philistines will kill him. He sends him uh, this message through intermediaries that, hey, the, the king wants to be your father-in-law. All you need to do is, is kill a hundred Phil- Philistines and uh, bring us proof. And David kills 200 Philistines with his men and brings Saul proof and becomes his son-in-law. And Saul's plan is not working Saul lets his son Jonathan know how he feels about David in chapter 19, verse 1, and Jonathan tries to talk reason to his father, and at first his father says, okay, I, I guess you're right. God has used him to bring a deliverance of his people, and, and, and yet we see that doesn't last very long. Again, in chapter 19, verses 8 and following, we see once again Saul try to Impale David with his spear, and David flees, and he, he goes to stay with Samuel. And uh, after and Saul goes and sends messengers to David's house to watch him, and and they they uh, try try to seek him there. They, they try to seek him with uh, Samuel there, the last part of chapter nineteen. And uh, it's an utter failure. Saul's daughter protects David as Saul sends these messengers to get David at the end of chapter 19. Each time he sends the messengers, they begin to to prophesy. Saul recognizes this isn't going the way that he wants it to, and so he goes and even he begins to prophesy. In other words, as you come to the end of chapter 19, what's happened? Saul has made it extremely clear he is not going to recognize David. And He's going to resist David, even though it is crystal clear that the Lord is with him. Saul doesn't want to be friends with David because he recognizes that David's dynasty represents the end of his dynasty. He doesn't care what God wants. He doesn't care about what, what God is, is bringing about. He doesn't want friendship with God or David. David is his enemy. Saul makes that, that conscious decision. Beloved, here's an amazing truth. God desires to be friends with you. And God the Son came to you while you were His enemy, died for you, and desires to be not only your Lord, but also your friend to be in relationship with you. In John chapter 15, this is what listen to what Jesus says. He says, "This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you Friends, For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He says, I'm I'm your friend. I, I love you. And I'm going to demonstrate my love for you in laying down my life for you. Jesus, as he prays in John chapter 17, says, I do not ask for these only, that is the disciples that are right there, but he says, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 26 I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Does that overwhelm you this morning? That reality? God desires an intimate friendship with you, a, a closeness. But notice there's a condition. In John chapter 15, he says, if you do what I command. In other words, he, he's not just a, a friend that you negotiate with and say, you know, I want this and you want this and let's kind of… He said, no, I'm also your king… Engaging in a relationship with me for your for what is best for you is to to make me your king and to make me your lord and to listen to me. In John chapter seventeen, he says, I, "I'm praying, and this is interesting, right? He, you know that God is the God the Son prayed for you specifically. He says, not only those who are here, but those who what will believe in me through their word." There's a recognition that our kingdom comes to an end. Jesus doesn't invite us into friendship as equals. We recognize His kingdom is better, that He is Lord. So, what kind of friendship do we have with Jesus? It's a a covenant friendship. And how does that friendship affect our friendships with others? Let's let's turn our attention then now to the second point. Jonathan becomes David's friend. Jonathan Becomes David's friend. While Saul becomes David's enemy, Jonathan becomes David's friend. And, and what I hope we do in this section is to, to draw us deeper into friendship with Christ and then have that, that deeper friendship with Christ flow into our relationships with others. To be so secure in our relationship with Christ, we ultimately need no other friends in terms of our ultimate satisfaction but Christ alone. Now, here's, here's three things as we turn to chapter 20. Here are three things we see about a covenant friendship and this is the type of friendship we have with god three characteristics of a covenant friendship number one there's a shared longing and what i want to do is i want to in each of these three characteristics we see of a covenant friendship i want us to to look at that characteristic that foundational aspect of a covenant friendship and see it in david and jonathan and then talk about it in a relationship with christ and us and then see how that flows into our friendships with others Perhaps you would say this morning, you don't have the friendships that you would desire. Or perhaps you don't desire the friendships you should desire, if you're like some of us. But as we go through this, you'd say, okay, this is what a relationship with Christ looks like. And now this is how this relationship flows in my relationship with other believers. So, a shared longing. Here in chapter 20, as it begins, David's been with Samuel. He flees from Samuel. And he comes to Jonathan in verse 1. He says, look, Jonathan, I need you to tell me, what have I done? What's my guilt? What's my sin before your father that he, he seeks my life? Now, remember when David and Jonathan's friendship began. Again, we go back to, to chapter 18. Why would David go to Jonathan in chapter 20? Well, because of a friendship that began in chapter 18. It says he'd finished speaking with Saul. This is 18 verse 1. And it says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Isn't that a beautiful description? The the souls were were knit together. There's a a shared longing that David and Jonathan have. Remember what we know about Jonathan. Jonathan is a guy who trusts the Lord. He desires to see the name of God exalted. Remember whenever he's kind of waiting around, he gets tired of waiting around, says, okay, we're going to see what the Lord will do, and he begins to act in faith that God will deliver his people. Jonathan loves the Lord. He's zealous for the glory of God. And as he sees David, what does he see? He sees a guy that is exactly like him. He says, that is a guy that loves the same things that I love. And they formalize their friendship with the covenant. We'll talk about that more as we go through the message this morning. But Jonathan looks at David he knows we both have the same longing to see the name of the God of Israel exalted. Now, what about our friendship with Christ? What happens as we become believers? Our hearts are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. We receive new hearts. And what happens? We begin to long for the same things that, that Christ longs for. As Richard Sibbs says, as He is our friend, so He is our King. We we long to see the name of Jesus exalted. Remember what Paul says in Philippians? He, he talks about who He used to be and all these things were that were true whenever He was a Jew. And he says in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3, but whatever gain I had, whatever all that stuff was, I used to value so deeply I now count all that stuff as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my my Lord. For His sake, for the sake of Christ, I've I've suffered the loss of all things and count everything as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." As we enter into a covenant relationship with God, as we enter into this covenant friendship, we we long for the same things that Christ longs for. Remember what happened with Saul, Paul in the New Testament? What happens? The, The people that were his enemies suddenly become his friends. And the people that were his friends suddenly become his enemies. Why? Because of what he now longs for. The things that he was longing for, now he puts them aside and says, that's garbage, that's rubbish. The things he hated, he now treasures. How does that relate to our friendship with others? That same transformation takes place not just in our relationship with Christ, but with his people. You know how it's, this is a safe place, right? Um, You know how sometimes there's some people it's hard to be friends with? Just a little off, right you're looking at me, uh, other people, not me. <laughs> or you know how there's some people you're just, you're instantly drawn to there's there's some sort of shared connection, you're both out and you're you're both walking a dog, and you see and you, oh, we both love we must be similar, right there's something about us or. Walking out, or walking a baby, you know, they, we both have babies, and so we're suddenly friends. And Maybe this happened to you, but it's when I when I'm traveling sometimes I'm I'm I'd be in an airport or something, and someone comes up. You, oh, I see you have a you have a Garmin watch on. Are you a, and they be, you know, talking about? There's a shared interest, right? Or someone sees you reading a book, and oh, that's a book that I read, and I love that. And so you start your friends. There's there's some sort of shared common interest. Now, you cannot say. Beloved, you cannot say, I, I love Jesus, but I-, I really just don't like Christians. I find them annoying, they're hypocrites, they're selfish. You-, you-, you can't, so I don't want to be their friends. You can't say that. What does Jesus say? What's his word to us? What's God's word to us in 1 John? 1 John chapter 3. He says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. In other words, we, we know that we've, we've we've received a new heart. We've gone from being children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sin, to having life in Christ. We know that's happened. How? What's a sign? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do you want to know if you have abiding life, abiding… A, a eternal life abiding in you. look at what you' you long for. and as you you long for Jesus Christ, you're going to find that you have a love for other Christians. Now does that mean sometimes you're going to be selfish and you'll be troubled by that? Yes, are they are we all going to be hypocritical at points? Yes, we're we all going to be annoying? Yes, but we're going to have a shared longing that drives us to relationship. Brothers and sisters, perhaps, Perhaps one of the reasons you don't have close friends is because you don't have the passion for God, the longing for God that, that you ought. Maybe that's one of the reasons I don't have the friendships I need because I, don't, I, I lack the passion for God that I ought to have. Watch your heart carefully. Ground friendships in a common passion, a shared longing for the exaltation of God of Jesus Christ. This friendship that will last, how do I know I'm doing this? Well, look look at what your conversations are about. Are are you encouraging one another in your walk with the Lord to deeper holiness? You know, sometimes uh, when I go to the gym, I, I see groups of friends working out together, encouraging each other. Uh, yesterday, I, I knew it was spring because in, in the spring, uh, I see a lot of robins, I see a lot of hummingbirds, and I, I see uh, dozens of women on uh, the the running trail at Cummings and this this workout facility. I'll, I'll be running along and I'll, I'll turn on the work, on the on the running trail, and all of a sudden, there's just all these women out there working out and encouraging one another, kind of shouting encouraging things at each other, and it's it's scary. I don't know where to. Tra- okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, excuse me, you know, you know, down the running trail there but the, but that there's this shared enthusiasm right let's let's persevere, let's do this thing. It's exciting, right? That's what we need in our life. Some of you have those types of friendships and other, you need this in your Christian life as well. there's a, a shared longing, a second foundation of a covenant friendship is a a sacrificial loyalty. look at the. Text as it continues, a sacrificial loyalty. You come to chapter twenty, and what really stands out to me is is Jonathan's absolute willingness to lay down his own interest for the sake of David. It's it's really a remarkable story. As we we look at these these first two verses of chapter twenty, he Jonathan Jonathan has asked this question by David, uh, what have I done? What, why is your dad seeking to kill me? And Jonathan says, "No, no, no. You are reading it wrong. My my father wouldn't do this. If if he uh, if he was going to do this, he would have told me." And David says, "No, I, I'm I'm telling you. Your your father knows that you and I are friends. And so he's not going to tell you." He says, "I'm not going to tell my son." David tells Jonathan, your, your dad has said, I'm not going to let you know this, lest you be grieved. But I, I guarantee you, Jonathan, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there's but a step between me and death. And Jonathan says, okay, let's, what, what do you want me to do? It's this beautiful interaction between friends, right? They, they disagree about the circumstances, but Jonathan is telling them, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do within reason, and, and, and I, I want to I care for you. And David says, look, here's here's the plan. They come up with this plan. I'm not going to go to the religious festival celebrations I would have been expected to attend as one of the commanders. I'm not going to attend those. And if your dad asks why I'm not there, eventually he'll ask and, and tell him that you let me go to Bethlehem. And we'll see how he responds. How he reacts lets us know if he intends me harm or not. And then we come to verses 12 through 17 that we read earlier, and this is the the foundation of their commitment. Jonathan is saying this, I swear I will let you know what is up. I will value, if my father does intend evil against you, I will value you more than my own family's sinful actions. In fact, I'm going to protect you more than I'm going to protect the advancement of my own kingdom. It's a remarkable statement. It would have been unheard of in this contemporary culture in which they live. And in fact, in verse 18 through 23, they expand the planet. They say, okay, I, there may not be an opportunity for us to talk in person. And so if I hear that my father intends ill toward you, I'm going to bring a, a young man out with me and I'm going to tell him, I'm going to shoot some arrows like I'm aiming at some mark. And if, if I say, go find the arrows and they're on this side of you, take them, then that means come because there's no danger. But if I tell the young man the arrows are beyond you, then you need to flee. And so they do that. Jonathan goes home. His fa- as he tells his father what he's done, uh, Saul goes to his, his go-to move and hurls a spear at him. They really should have taken away the spears from Saul <laughs> at this point. Uh, but Jonathan, uh, that's a clue. Dad's upset. David's right. And so they go through with that plan. There is an opportunity for them to speak to one another. It says that uh, that the boy had gone, verse 41, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn... Both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. It's hard for us to understand the remarkable nature of what Jonathan has done here. Because of his loyalty to David, because of his shared longing for God to be exalted, he's willing to sacrifice his own dynasty and kingship, his relationship with his father, the loss of all those things, to protect his friend David. Jonathan, in fact, calls on God to witness. This is sacrificial loyalty. God God is my witness. I'm going to do all that I can. I'm going to give of all of myself to protect you, even if it means my own life, even if my own father tries to kill me in order to protect himself. I will let you know I will do all that I can to protect you the loss of my kingdom, the loss of my own life, I'm going to do all those things in my sacrificial loyalty to you. In our friendship with Christ, what do we see? We see Christ's willingness to sacrifice of himself to fulfill the terms of the covenant relationship, a covenant made in eternity past. In Ephesians 1, we see that we were chosen before the foundation of the world and that God used the, the, the work of the Son, God the Son, to bring about the completion of this covenant We see in Philippians 2 that the sacrificial nature of Christ, His willingness to give of Himself to fulfill the covenant of redemption. Now, how does that flow into our relationships with one another? So often, we refuse to to sacrifice in our friendships. But a Christ-rooted friendship flows from this, and it's not about what we gain in a friendship, but what we give from our love, First John chapter three, verse 16. "By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us at sacrifice, and we, what? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. there there are few things that will damage Christian friendships and relationships in a church more than selfishness, than a lack of sacrificial loyalty. Four words that I think are like deadly poison to friendship, idolatry, jealousy, bitterness, and selfishness idolatry, jealousy, bitterness, selfishness, all these things are antithetical to sacrificial loyalty. So, for example, in idolatry, oftentimes we see an idolatry both in terms of our goal for a friendship and in terms of our, uh, the, the way in which we, we carry out the friendship, our expectations for others. We, we often believe that the purpose of a friendship is to be served rather than to serve. So, in other words, what's my ideal friend? My ideal friend is a friend that is going to be there exactly when I need him, and a friend that will let me kind of vent my spleen whenever I'm upset about something, and instead of calling me to account when I kind of go on some sort of diatribe, will say, oh, that's just Daniel being Daniel. Uh, that's what I want in a friend. Does exactly what I want, exactly when I, win it, when I want it. But that's idolatry, right? Now, it's not wrong to want a friend who's there for you, but it, but is it possible that God has given you friendships not for the purpose of exalting you, but for the purpose of exalting him? James chapter 4, why do you have quarrels and fights among you? It's because your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have. So you murder. There's this idolatrous expectation we have for friendships, and I would suggest to you that many of you are struggling in your friendships because idolatry in terms of your expectations of others, in terms of your goals for the friendships, those you have some idolatrous expectations that are killing your relationships, destroying your friendships. Another word here is, is the word jealousy. Why didn't God choose Jonathan? What did Jonathan done wrong? Man, if, if you're Jonathan, what are you gonna be thinking as you as you look at this guy, David? I mean, you've, you've stuck with Saul. You're the king's son. You have done everything that God has asked of you. And then this, this little shepherd boy comes up, destroys a giant, and, and now you've got to play second fiddle to this guy. Man, what a missed opportunity of, of a friendship that would have been if Jonathan had that attitude. But how does our heart respond when others have success that evades us, when we see God blessing others in ways in which we wish he had blessed us? And sometimes this, it damages our friendships in subtle ways that so we don't even recognize what's happening. But We look at this, this marriage that someone else has or these children that someone else has or, or this, this job that someone else has or, or this ministry that someone else has, and our, our hearts are just consumed with, that should be me, that should be me. And if that had been Jonathan's attitude, it would have destroyed their friendship. There's jealousy, there's idolatry, there's bitterness. You know, there's no boundary God places in the command to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't say, look, as much as is possible with you, be at peace with the nice brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, no, as much as is possible with you, seek peace with, with brothers and sisters in Christ. But maybe you're thinking this morning, man, there is just someone, some believer who has wronged me so deeply, I can't even imagine a world in which I would forgive that person, in which reconciliation could take place. What does God's word say? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Perhaps God is denying you friendships because he wants you to work on that relationship first. Perhaps there are some things you need to learn about friendship that you will not learn until you release that bitterness. Perhaps, and this may be extremely shocking, that's the very person that God desires you to enter into very close friendship with. There's also the word selfishness. I'll love people as it benefits me. I need to move on here. Last thing here: Jonathan becomes David's friend. There's this covenant friendship of a shared longing, a sacrificial love, also a steadfast, a steadfast love. The idea of covenant comes up again and again in the story, right? The very beginning of, of their friendship, they, they formalize that relationship. They enter into this covenant. They say, look, uh, if, if I don't fulfill the terms of our friendship, may, may bad things happen to me. Now, I don't, I don't understand all the, the customs of this world and this time, but what's clear is that it's their love for one another that drives them to bind themselves to one another. In other words, it's not they're saying, look, I don't like you, you don't like me, we have to get along, so let's make a covenant. No, there's, there's this desire, look, I love you. I, I, I desire to care for you, and I love you, and I care for you so much, I'm, I'm, I'm binding myself to you in this covenant. There's a steadfast love, the, the Hebrew word is chesed. It's a very beautiful word, this, this covenant faithfulness, kindness, love that I have for you. Our friendship with Christ, how does it relate to our friendship with Christ? Our relationship with Christ is a covenant. In the Old Testament, over and over again, people, as they, they pray to God, point to the covenant relationship that they are in with God. Say, hey, God, remember your covenant, Psalm 74. Uh, Have regard for your covenant as we live in this, this wicked, violent place, Lord. And, and look to, as you look to that covenant, remember, we're bound in relationship to one another. And so let's, let's remember that, God, and care for us. What does Jesus say at the Last Supper? He says in Luke chapter 22, Luke writes, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured for you is the new covenant in my blood. Our relationship, our friendship with Christ is a covenant relationship, a covenant friendship. There's security in that. You are in a a covenant with God. He He is bound to you in a complete union. He's not trapped. He's in that relationship because he loves you. John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Human, hand, human friends are going to fail you. God is covenant, faithful. He has sworn to you by his own perfect name. And how does that affect our friendships with each other? 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the, the propitiation, the complete satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's a covenant love that we receive from God in which our sins are completely dealt with, and so what does that mean? That means that same love affects our relationships with one another. I would argue that one of the biggest problems that we might have in our friendships is a a lack of recognition of our necessity to be committed to one another in a relationship. we want to know this. If we're going to go deep with someone, we want to know, is this person going to continue to love me when they start finding out the bad things about me? We were babysitting uh, a five-year-old and a three-year-old over the weekend, and it was it was fun to have a five- and a three-year-old in the, in the house again. And at one point of the weekend, the, the, the five-year-old looked at me and goes, I can whistle." I was like, can hey, you really I, like, I can whistle. And then he got a little sheepish, and he said, but I can't cartwheel, but, but I can whistle. I don't know what made him think of cartwheeling, but it's obviously troubling him that he can't cartwheel. What's, what's Daniel going to do when he knows I can't cartwheel? Oh, that's okay, buddy, let's hear the whistle. You and I want friends in our life who can say, "Hey, I can whistle. I can't cartwheel. I'm not where I need to be. That's OK. I can cartwheel, but not whistle. I can't do both either, right? The deepest relationships require commitment. Think of the marriage relationship. There's, there's a, a, a picture of us in the Song of, of, of Solomon where he says uh, the woman says, set me as a seal upon your heart. In other words, uh, enter into a covenant relationship with me because it's only that covenant relationship that the type of love God desires us to, to have can, can grow. Uh, church membership, I believe, is a great application of this. It's, it's not the same type of commitment as a marriage, right? There's going to be times when you're called to, to leave a church. But what it's saying is, look, as we enter into these relationships with one another, I'm not just going to leave for any reason. Like, you kind of uh, you annoy me one Sunday evening so I'm out of here. And it also governs what I'm going to do when we are in relationship together, how I'm going to, to care for you. There was uh, someone that was talking recently, or I read someone recently saying, most pastors, this is very insightful. Most pastors who have been pastors for 20 years don't have 20 years worth of experience. They have five years of experience four times. Why is that? Every five years they leave. It hits some point, and the pastor says, I'm out, right? Or, so the person goes on and says, I wonder if we can't sometimes say things about the same thing about church members. They don't Most of them don't have 20 years of learning how to live in community and remain connected with those with whom we disagree. We instead go someplace, five years in, we're out. Happens four times over 20 years. Now, there are times, of course, to leave a a church, good and in bad circumstances. What I'm saying is this there needs to be a context of, of commitment to one another. So we say, okay, this is what I'm committed to. As long as God calls us in a relationship and we're, we're doing what God has called us to do in this relationship, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to you in it. And, and if you violate that, I'm, I'm going to forgive you and we're going to continue to, to press on and, until it gets to a point where we, we can't continue. And, but there's going to be a process by which we go through. We want, to, we want that sense of security if we're going to open ourselves up to people and be, be the friends that we need to be. I can whistle. I can't cartwheel. We're never going to be perfect friends this side of eternity, but here's what we see. Christian friendship flows from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and is built upon a shared commitment to his lordship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. And first of all, being our friend, it's, it's hard to imagine the, the condescension, the, 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 the way in which you've, you've come to us and the, the, the heights that you're at and the, the depths at which we are. We don't understand either one of those extremes, and so thank you for coming to us in our lowliness to, to taking on flesh and the sun so we could be in relationship with you, that we could be your friends. Help us to treasure you Help us to rejoice in that friendship with, with you, the living God, and to, to go deep in that relationship and to find security in, in that friendship and to, and to not question our lo- your love for us. Thank you that you've called us your friends. You revealed yourself to us. Then help us to emulate that in our, our friendships with others, for us to be kind and, and faithful in our relationships with others, to, to care for them in their weaknesses, and in our own. We pray this for your glory in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.